My name's Keem, and welcome to Lost Movie Madness. Today, I'm going to start talking to you about the movie Oscar. <laughs> um, as you can see, the movie Oscar stars um, Sylvester Stallone, and it is a French farce. Now, um, if you're new to the channel, please like, share, and subscribe. If you like what you see in here, please leave a five-star review or whatever podcatcher that you listen to it on. Or if you see me on YouTube, please give it a thumbs up. It really does help. Now, today, um, I'm going to talk about a French farce called Oscar. Now, you would think that it being a French farce, that Sylvester Stallone wasn't in any of those. And you would be correct. Sylvester Stallone is not in any French farces. But this is a movie that's based upon a French farce. Now, I'm going to give you the definition of a farce. I know. The first thing you want to see when you watch a video is a definition, especially from Merriam-Webster. But I think it's important to note that a, a farce is a comic dramatic work using buffoonery and horseplay and typically including rude characterizations and ludicrously improbable situations. And from the Oxford Dictionary, and I, this may be backwards, um, a light dramatic composition marked by broadly satirical comedy and improbable plot. Now, um, this movie is typical of the genre. Like, if you've ever seen um, The Birdcage, starring Robin Williams and um, Nathan Lane. Wow. Nathan Lane would kill me if he thought I uh, forgot his name. Um, back in, I believe it was 1996, um, Something happens, and then you get a bunch of stuff. Um, you get a setup. So the setup in this thing, it's real simple. Um, the father of a well-known gangster, the here being played by Sylvester Stallone, um, his name is Snaps Provolone, his father, played by the indomitable Kirk Douglas, uh, is dying. So Snaps goes and sees his father. And Kurt Douglas, in a dying on his deathbed, says, son, I'm dying, but you know, uh, if you can do me one favor before I die, I want you to go straight. And he says, dad, anything for you. So he decides to go straight. And there the hijinks begin. So it's simple. A gangster, he's got his two lackeys, and they're going to go straight. Uh, and all the hijinks come from that. So a month later, we pick up. He's trying to go straight. He's trying to become a banker. Okay, he's got a lot of money. He can launder it through the bank. He wants to be part of the board. He doesn't want to do any more criminality. He doesn't want any guns. He doesn't want any of that stuff. He wants to leave that life behind. He orders his goons here played by uh, uh, Chaz Palminteri, who you see. And this other gentleman who, for the life of me, I can't think of his name, um, is also his goon. And they they are supposed to uh, give up their guns. And you see Snaps takes the gun away when he finds out that the guy's asking for his um, a raise. All right? So, I'm sorry, I was just reading through the cast list. I was trying to find... The uh, the man's name, um, Angelo Snaps Provolone is Sylvester Stallone, Olivia Ornella Molti, who I've never seen in anything else, but it's gorgeous and it's, 
her acting is incredible and she brings the only realism to the story, Vincent Spano as Anthony Rosano. That's the guy who, um, who, who wants to marry his daughter. Now, this is his account. His account wakes him up at eight o'clock in the morning. So the setup, he's trying to he's trying to go straight. And just like the Godfather 3, he tried to go straight, but they keep pulling him back in. Uh, he Anthony Rosano comes to him and tells him, listen, I want to make $1,400 a month from the $400 you're already paying me. Aldo is is played by Peter Riegert. Anyway, Peter Rieger did a lot of films. He was also in The Rose. He was in a bunch of stuff. He was in Animal House. He's great in that. He was in The Mask. Um, so anyway, we just saw um, Peter Rieger. Anyway, so you have Snap's Provolone. His accountant wakes him up an hour earlier than he's supposed to get up because he's supposed to wake up at nine. He's going to have an elocution lesson and he's going to have a fitting and he's going to meet with these bankers. And at noon, they're going to become bankers. No more crime. So he comes and says, hey, um, I need a raise. That's the scene that you see right now on your screens. And Snaps goes, all right, well, why do you need a raise? You wake me up early for that. And he says, well, I want to get married. So. I want to go from 400 to 1400 bucks a month. So he says, "Okay, I'll give you I'll give you 1200 cuz I'm a sucker for love." And he says, "Well, who's the lucky girl?" And he says, "Your daughter." That's when the first gun gets pulled on him. And he goes, "Okay, well, give me the gun." He takes away the gun and he says, "This guy comes in here and he tells me that he wants to marry my daughter." So he says, "Okay. Um well, why would my daughter marry you?" Well, I have $50,000. And he says, where'd you get $50,000 on a $400 a month salary? And he says, well, I stole it from you. And that's where you walk in. So he stole $50,000. He turns them into gems. And because he wants to give his daughter, and he's going to give it to his daughter. So Snaps goes, okay, great. Now, here's one, one part of the farce, is that they don't mention names. That allows for a comedy of mix-ups. Just like in any good comedy that you might see. If you ever see people, her, him, impersonal pronouns instead of the actual names like we speak in real life. Like, I'm going to clarify that I want to marry your daughter, Teresa, before anything. That way you know that I know who I'm talking about. So anyway... He tells Snaps he wants to marry her, so Snap, and he's been her lover. That's when he gets the second gun pulled out on him. And um, he, Snap goes, okay, well, I'm going to go up and talk to my daughter. And the daughter tells him, played by the indomitable Marissa Tomei. And Marissa Tomei goes, okay, well, yeah, I, I want to marry him, Dad. He, he's my lover. He's the one I want to be with. But really, she doesn't really care who she marries. She just doesn't want to be there anymore. She's 18 years old, and she wants to go out and, live and see the world. Also, by the way, if you're smoking somewhere, gargling some Coca-Cola is not going to change the fact that people can still smell smoke as uh, a person who is in the midst of giving up smoking. I can clearly tell when somebody's been smoking or not. So that's not really fooling anybody. So Marissa Tomei comes in. She doesn't really want to marry anybody. She just wants to marry somebody so she can get away from her her dad, who's overbearing, and Sly Stallone plays that pretty good. Here's the thing about Sly Stallone. Sly Stallone apparently really, really 
likes one-liners. Throughout this movie, he's just dropping them, and he's deadpanning them all away. Um, he does a much better job in this one than he did in Tango and Cash, which I will be reviewing also. <laughs> Tango and Cash is a great, is a great fun 80s movie. About four years before this movie came out. But anyway, um, we get to this point. She wants to get married. And he says, okay, I'll get you married, especially because you're pregnant. Great. Marissa Pomey is not actually pregnant, but she just tells him that so she can get married. And she knows her father's a gangster. And it's very dangerous for anybody. But she figures she can get out this way. So at that point, we reach the point where a girl shows up. And now this is the daughter that Anthony thinks that he actually wants to marry. Her name is Teresa. She's not actually Snap Provolone's daughter, but she told him that because he's a well-to-do accountant. He makes really good money, and she didn't want he uh, him to think that she was just a poor girl from the other side of the tracks. So that's why Anthony Rosanna went to Snap Provolone and told him all this stuff. So Snaps figures this out, and he decides he's going to set him up. He's going to get his hands on, on the jewels and get him to sign over the money to his daughter, thinking that it's that daughter rather than Teresa. Again, don't use the actual name. Just say, I'm going to sign over to your daughter. So he signed over, he hands over a black bag. Now, at that point, the black bag comes into play. The maid who you saw on the screen, she is quitting to marry this guy named Underwood, who he had had planned for uh, Marissa Tomei's character. And she takes a big black bag. Anthony Rosano brings the jewels, and it's also the exact same black bag. Now, if you ever watch a movie and you see, oh, a giant suitcase or a bag or something that draws your eye, there is a reason why that's on the screen, because you need to pay attention to that. I know I'm not telling most people that, but if you ever see it, it's little tricks of the trade. Okay, that's going to be important. When it's not important, then it's just distracting from the film. It's like um, when you watch Clash of the Titans, the new one, not the old one, because the old one's great, but the new one, you get these two hunters, they come in, and they're like, oh, we're experts in weapons, and we can kill anything. And then five minutes later, they um, say, we're going to stay here and protect this town, and that's it until they're at the end of the movie. The introduction of them, I don't know if there's stuff on the cutting room floor showing them killing a bunch of stuff and being helpful to the mission, but unless you're actually germane to the plot, their characters are worthless. There's no point in spending that five minutes talking to them. There's no point in meeting them. There's no point in taking the audience there and thinking, hey, these guys are going to be useful and they'll do something cool later because they do nothing cool. They show up at the end when he comes back or whatever. They were wasted. And I think they killed one thing, but ran away from most things. They weren't even badasses, which is the whole point. So why involve them? The same thing here is the MacGuffin. And since John Landis directed this movie, he knows what he's doing. So he introduces the black bag. It's innocuous. It's nothing. But when you see it sitting there and there's a couple handoffs and you go, okay, well, that thing's going to be important. So the black bag shows up. And the police are also watching the house. And the head of the police is the great Kurtwood Smith. Kurtwood Smith, as accomplished an actor as I can think. A character actor. He, he plays a great part. He plays an archetype. He's been bald since, I think, 1905. And 
he looks like an older gentleman. Uh, he was in he was a bad guy in RoboCop, the bad guy in RoboCop. And I don't know if anybody's seen RoboCop, but RoboCop's a great <laughs> slice of 18, 1980s Americana. It's, RoboCop is bad, and it it knows it's bad, but they're big and broad. It's almost a B movie. I know it was made by a major um, film studio, but it's almost a B movie quality. And the guy moves around like this, and I think the um. The Bob Burgers did a great parody of it when um, Bob got cunt over the head and he got the robo stash. Um, almost the same level of technology because he is just moving around. Uh, it's, just, it's ridiculous. Anyway, so <laughs> I know I'm going off on a tangent, but if you haven't seen any of my videos, I can go off on tangents because I enjoy thinking about film and talking about film, and it brings me to other things. And that's what this is about. This isn't a super professional review or anything. This is me enjoying talking about movies. Now, speaking on that note, if you have any movies out there and you want to talk about them, please send me an email at lostmoviemagic at gmail.com. Again, that's lostmoviemadness at gmail.com. Lostmoviemadness, gmail.com. Um, and I'll be more than happy to watch whatever movie. doesn't matter what it is. I'll watch it, and I'll talk about it, and I'll try to find a clip so I can put the video in here so it's not just you staring at me talking, which I'm going to update my other videos about that. Anyway, Teresa shows up. She's not his daughter, but it turns out that Teresa is his biological daughter. He had had, enough, he had, had a tryst with a young lady about 20 years earlier when it was first getting started in the business, and she's his actual daughter. That He finds this out by that woman showing up at the very end and him recognizing her and him going, oh, I had a thing for you, blah, 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 blah. And she tells him that her daughter wants to marry this accountant who makes 1400 a month. And then they, they find out. So that's his, his other daughter. Although throughout the movie, Teresa's in and out the house. And the guys are meeting them, and he tells Chasman Parliamentary to watch Teresa, and then he tells him to watch his other daughter, and nobody's met this daughter ever. Nobody's seen any other two daughters till this morning. Again, five-hour span. He meets his daughter. He meets his mother, her mother again, and he, they, they, they all get together, and this all gets cleared up within five hours. I know time doesn't work like that, but... That's what a farce is. You're going to get the setup. You're going to get the idea, and it's going to take you all over the place. Now, he's supposed to get an elocution lesson. The elocution lesson happens with an actor of immense renown called Tim Curry. Tim Curry is really, really good in this movie. Um, I love Tim Curry. I love everything he's ever done. Uh, my favorite might be the movie Clue, which I will review at some point. Uh, but Tim Curry, and I know... That's blasphemy for those who love Rocky Horror Picture Show, but I'm not that into musicals. So um, he's really good in this, and he speaks with a big, broad accent. He's playing that up, and he's playing, and he's got a smile on his face, and he knows he's just having fun with this thing. And he teaches him elocution, and since Anthony Rosano doesn't want to marry Teresa, and Teresa's apparently married with the, uh, in love with the teacher, he convinces him to marry her. Now they get together and she tells him she's not really pregnant. She just wants to escape the house. And he invites her to go off to 
Brussels, I believe. And so they can go, um, they can get married and go do that. That's a great scene. Chaz Palminteri pulls out all the, the, the accoutrement of his business. And he's got all sorts of just guns and knives. And he's got the knuckle duster. Great name for, probably the best name for a weapon ever. He's also got the, the brass knuckles with the, with the knife on it. He's got the mace, the maul. He's got them all hidden upon his body. He's got the, he's got the, uh, the lead pipe from Clue. He's got the lead pipe. He's going to smack somebody across the head with that thing. And Chaz Terry's big and hulking, so you can imagine him actually doing that. And so um, she gets along with Tim Curry, and they come to some sort of understanding, and she agrees to marry him. So now you see that the cops are watching, and the cops see this black bag. They keep the maid leaves. She grabs the wrong black bag. She brings it back. They swap it. And then Anson Rosano swaps the black bag. And then every time Snaps Provolone tries to open it because he's going to pay for the school that the doctor wants, there's ladies' underwear in it. Um, Chaz Palmateri supposed to be watching the bag. And he sees um, Teresa and Anthony outside. And he watches that. So the Aldo, the the... The butler comes and switches the bags. All, all a game of misdirection. So when the police see all these bags coming out, they say, we got him. He's got bag men coming from all across the town, and we're going to catch him with money. So at noon, the bankers show up, and they come in, and they're ready to sign the documents and snaps. Ooh, my light almost went out. I got I got I got listen, at the Recovery House Studios here. Um, we're doing our best <laughs> on a shoestring budget, so sometimes there are mishaps that happen. But being proud of my channel, I'll do what it takes to get out more and more content. And the more you enjoy, the more you like, the more you share, the more you subscribe, the more content I will be able to deliver. And so anyway, Snaps, uh, Snaps meets with these bankers, and Anthony is there with him. And Anthony acting as the legal mind, the consigliere, the consigliere is, is properly how is how that's properly pronounced. Acting as a consigliere uh, tells him that he has no voting rights, that the bank is indemnified for any criminal activity that goes on, and that he would just have a little office in there and he wouldn't even be on a letterhead. So he goes, well, what am I paying for? Other than for them to take his money, you know, they don't want him. And for a man as proud as Snaps Provolone, he decides he doesn't he doesn't want to be part of their business. At that moment, that's why I said it takes five hours. They meet at noon. That moment, the police bust in. They want to bust Snaps Provolone. They think that he's hooking up with the O'Banion mob from Chicago. And he and Kurt, there's a great scene where Kurt Woodsmith comes in and he's like, and he starts pointing at the four bankers and naming the members of the O'Banion mob that they are, which they clearly aren't when he shows them the, um, they show their IDs and he finds out they're bankers. So he's got an egg on his face and he leaves. And there's a great scene where he's like, oh, where's the bag? There's got to be money in those bags. That way we got him red-handed. He's also brought <laughs> the newspapers, which is a very... Um, 1930s idea that you'd bring 
the, the newspapers with you, but he brings the newspapers with him and they take pictures of him taking shots in the underwear um, from the maid's bag. And one of the bankers slips a bit underneath his arm, which is just good broad comedy. Just It's good comedy, especially when you say, oh, I'll snatch some underwear. It's gross. You know, just some random woman's underwear. But when we're talking in comedic terms, just give it a quick slip. There's a great story. I was at dinner the other night, and Jerry Seinfeld said him and Larry Dave would go, and they would go to dinner. And any time the check would come, they'd go, and they'd pick it up and, and then put it down. Just, just It's a great move. It's a great bit of physical comedy. And I did that the other night at dinner, and they were like, oh, what's wrong? What's the price? Said, oh, nothing. And I just kept talking through it. And that's the thing. You got to and continue to talk. <laughs> Which, again, is a great comedic mood. And I'm all about bringing comedy to life. Comedy is what makes my world go round. And although I will watch any movie, comedy really puts, puts a soft spot in my heart that makes me happy. So uh, when I picked that piece up, I said, oh, I got to try that out. <laughs> and it's just good. <laughs> Give them that eyes. Anyway, um, they leave. Now, there's also a um, there's also a rival gang who's watching Snaps because they can't believe that he's going straight either. And that rival gang gets a tip off from a guy named Five Spark Charlie. <laughs> and the guy who plays Five Spot Charlie is hamming it up. He's got a, a stutter, which is, was acceptable in the 80s, but not so much so now. And, you know, he's telling everybody everything. He tells the police this. He tells the other gangster this. So they decide to come get him because they think that they're banging moms in town. And they ride off. And as the police are leaving, the bad guys are coming all tooled up, which one of my favorite sayings for having um, weapons on you, tooled up. And I went in there, I was all tooled up. I think that's that sounds really cool. So they're all tooled up, and they run right into the police car, and Kurt Woodsmith busts them, and he gets pictures with the press, and his story ends happily because he gets to knock off some gangsters, even though he just embarrassed himself in the house. After they leave, um, the, the bankers leave and he says, he says, I've dealt with a lot of murderers and thieves and, and bookies, but you guys, you guys play rough. So that doesn't happen. So there's a double marriage, the doctor, Marissa Tomei and, and, um, Teresa and Anthony Rosano, they all get married. And at that point, the only scene that Oscar's in. Oscar shows up and he says, wait, 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 stop the marriage. And he says, say, who are you? And he says, Oscar, the driver. Because <laughs> he was he was snatched from a long driver that Marissa Tomei wanted to run off with. And he had run he had run away from the country when he found out that um, Snaps Provolone knew. And Snap says, boys, get rid of him quick. So they grab him, they take him out. And he goes, Dad, I tried. <laughs> you know, and that's it. That's the end of the movie. Now, I want to say one thing about Marissa Tomei. To Marissa Tomei, and I don't think I shared this with Marissa Tomei um, was really good in this, but it's very indicative of another part she played um, during that same year. She won an, an Oscar. Ha, ha, ha. An Oscar for it. 
uh, My Cousin Vinny. And she plays a variation of that. She's very good in both. I mean, I think she's overacting her ass off of My Cousin Vinny, but she's great and she really brings that movie alive and she's a linchpin um, to that movie. I mean, I think she is much better in Slums of Beverly Hills. I think she's fantastic in that. But in both these movies in 1991, she was doing a really great job and you can see why her star skyrocket. She's also great in those Spider-Man movies. I think Marissa Tomei brings a depth and she also is very, uh, she's very colloquial. And as a New Yorker, I, I love to hear a, a, not even a good New York accent. I just like, I'm off in the wilds of Pennsylvania, so I always like to hear a New York accent, even when it's a bad one. Even when it's obviously put on like a Fran Drescher one, uh, I still like to hear it. It just brings warmth to my soul and makes me feel all warm in my tum-tum, as uh <laughs> Somebody famous says, or the famous YouTuber said, feel all warm and fuzzy in my tum-tum. So that's the movie. It ends. It's fun. It's quick. So I'm going to talk about some of, the, some of the points. How the Academy would judge it. Now, the Academy judges on a few things. The acting. The acting is big and broad and bombastic, and they're going for it, and they're not afraid to overact in this thing. But it's a farce. It's supposed to be that way. The only grounded characters are Snap's wife, uh, Olivia Multi, and that's it. And Kirk Douglas, I guess you could say, is, is grounded, except he smacks uh, he smacks uh, Sylvester Stallone pretty damn hard in the beginning. Um, he pretends to die and wakes up and smacks him and says, that's so you remember, and then he dies. But, and also he's so disheveled, I, I doubt that that would happen. But that's that's the acting. It's pretty good. It, it is what it is. It's supposed to be fun. Although they, they're delivering their line deadpan, because this is the world that they inhabit, it's supposed to be good. Also, the two the two uh, tailors are really funny. Um, Harry Shearer, the, the great Harry Shearer, um, plays one of them. So there are a lot of people in this. End. Don Amici. Shout out to Don Amici. Don Amici, who was in a million different movies, who's great. He was in Trading Places, that I, the last video that I did with my friend Sean C. And um, Don Amici's amazing. He just, he just is. There's no question. You see Don Amici, he will bring it every time. Now, um, the story. It's a simple, it's not a simple story. It's hard to tell. That's why I'm all over the place. It's a hard to tell story, but it's a farce. Just know that things happen in the beginning, cause the problem. They're going to dovetail, they're going to go all over the place, and then they're going to come back together, and you're going to have a happy ending. So I think the story is what it is. It tells a good story. You're worried about where every, how everything's going to work out, and how, but the two kids get married, so it's a happy ending. It's a love story, and there's no real sort of friction in it. There's, you know, complications. It's very complicated, almost like the importance of being earnest, but it, it's still fun. Um the the cinematography for the cinematography I would say this it's shot on the soundstage no question about it it's not out in a real city it, they didn't find some location they shot it on the soundstage and you can tell uh, the streets are beautiful and they're clean and they're broad and they're wide the rooms the furnishings all soundstage stuff even the furnishings in the police uh, lookout room are great. If you see some of those those uh, 
those uh, lampshades that the police are standing next to the police, you go, okay, look, there goes Anthony going with the bag. You see that lampshade, the pink lampshade? I don't think that in a $2 room in 1931 that you get a beautiful Edwardian lampshade like that. I could be wrong, but I doubt the police would spend the money and resources on that. You already got two men sitting there watching it, and then you got that. But as for the cinematography, it is what it is. It's just point and shoot and go. The shots are set up well. The close-ups are set up well. But there's nothing amazing about it. Director of photography wasn't asked to do a whole ton with this. As for the pacing, in any farce, you start out slow. You start to build. You start to build. You start to build. You start to build. And he's all over the place. He's running all over the place trying to figure it out. It's like that scene in Coming to America where um, Mr. McDowell's running through the house trying to get Daryl back in. And he falls down. Boom. You, you bring the people up. You bring them up. You bring them up. And then you stop, and then you slow down, you get to the end. Pacing's perfect. Would I recommend this movie? The last question. Yeah. If you want to have some fun, you want to watch it with the family, there's no crazy language in it other than uh, full pregnancy. There's nothing sexual in it. And I think any kid would love it. It's a farce. It's fun. And nobody gets hurt. Well, except Oscar in the end. And even Oscar just gets carried out. Um, I But... I would recommend it if you like to watch it, great. If not, that's okay too. Um, watch if you want. Don't blame me if you do. That's what I say. Watch if you want. Don't blame me if you do. Now, that's it. We've talked about Oscar today. I will be recording about Tango and Cash, and hopefully it's less confusing. Hopefully I go on less tangents um, during Tango and Cash. But if you like what you heard, please like, share, and subscribe. Um, you can get a hold of me at lostmoviemadness at gmail.com. Again, that's lostmoviemadness at gmail.com. Please leave a five-star review on whatever podcast you're listening to it on, or please leave a thumbs up or leave a con- and leave a comment on my YouTube page. Thank you so much for listening, and you guys have a great day.